0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, July 9th, 2023, by Tom Job from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22.
1: I wanted to read to you guys out of Luke chapter 22, and it says... In verse 17, Jesus said, um, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I won't eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you for I tell you I won't drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them and said this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Lord I do ask you that what we're about to do that you would help us to understand it more deeply, understanding it, understand it in a way, in a transformative way. Help me Lord, help all of us. We're on holy ground, in Jesus name, amen. So um, Lee's about to take over this part for the next like couple of months or so and um, but this was kind of an in-between Sunday and he had to lead worship and so um, but so what I'm gonna so I've just finished a thing on Sunday mornings about the book of Revelation and it was so complicated. And I felt like I was trying to explain the inexplicable and comprehend the incomprehensible and unscrew the inscrutable. And it just like it, it but the only problem with it is it took me, like all the different talks I did, they all took thirty-five, thirty-five minutes. It was and it was just i maybe a little bit more sometimes and it was just because it was so complicated so and I felt bad every Sunday I promise you I felt terrible that it was taking me so long to explain it because I think the ideal message on Sunday is 24 minutes and so in Alcoholics Anonymous, they always—if somebody's going to give a talk, they say three rules: be interesting, be brief, be seated. And so that's—I remember one time Salvador Dali—he gave the commencement speech at an Ivy League college, and he got up and said, "I am going to be brief. In fact, I am done." And he sat down, and I, everybody went crazy. But so, um, but I, so I calculated this. Um, I have probably done this like given like talks here at Triple C 1300 of them. So in the last 27 years if they average 35 minutes that's 45,400 minutes if they had been what they should have been and I am so sorry. <laughs> it would have been 31,021 minutes. So I talked for longer, really, than I should for 14,000 and 300 minutes, which is 238.33 hours. And I really owe this to Potsey because Potsey, I think, is probably the only person in this room that was at Triple C the very first Sunday that we started and has been here pretty much every Sunday since then. And I have taken from his life. <laughs> 9.93 days <laughs> of stoppage time, or whatever you call it, of going over. So this one is going to be 24 minutes. but although it's starting right now. Like, sorry, (laughs) like, hopefully, hopefully, but I just, I just felt like I wanted to talk to you guys. Just, if I just had like one Sunday and we're taking communion, just kind of, what is it? There was a, so last night, Tina and I, we were watching the Braves and Sean Murphy set the record for the most consecutive games in the history of the Braves for home runs, like 25. So like, I think it was in the second inning, he hit a three run home run. And I don't know why, but it made me cry a little bit. So I was trying to think about why do people cry? Like, why do people cry when they're happy? And I looked up some articles about it. It's very complicated. but. That nobody really knows. Some psychologists and psychiatrists believe that it's your brain trying to find homeostasis, so like if you're too happy, it's a way to make you a little bit sadder, and I don't really buy that, but one of them said that your hippocampus, which is about as big as an almond, is so small that when your amygdala, which is your emotional center, sends down either real happy or real sad, your hippocampus doesn't really know what it is, but just knows that something's strong is coming on so i better turn on the water just to make sure you know so that that might be what happens but a lot of times like when like lee and i would you do weddings and the and the the, the bride comes down the groom and when and the groom starts crying you know like a lot of times they will and you're pretty sure it's happy but it's like I've never really, so is this good or or not so but, like so when you do, so when we do communion, like when we take communion, is this a happy time or a sad time, because we're remembering. It almost always, in most places I've ever been, kind of a super sad time because I guess we're, because we're remembering what Jesus did for us. I had a friend, he came to know Jesus in Italy. He was from Argentina. His name was Marce, Marcelo, but he was, he was so sweet. But I was just explaining the gospel to him and telling him, and I just said, I said, Marcelo, the reason that you could know that you're forgiven of everything is because Jesus, because of Jesus when he died that way, He was paying for you, he was doing it for you because he loved you, and he just got so sad. And he said, I didn't want him to do that for me. I didn't want him to have to do that for me. And I said, well, it's a little late, like he already did it, so he did do it. And so now you could be happy about it. So, But it's just like, is this a sad thing or a happy thing? And in down through the history of the movement of followers of Jesus, they've always called what we're about to do the Eucharist. And Eucharist is a Greek word. The E-U means good. And the charis, the C-H-A-R-I-S-T, it comes from the Greek word C-H-A-R-I-S, where we get the word C-H-A-R-I-T-Y. And it means a katas, it means grace, or it means everything wonderful that God gives us. It's just like the gifts, the multitudinous gifts of God. It's also where you get the word joyfulness. It comes from the same word katas and the word thankfulness. And it's almost like, so thankfulness, to me, thankfulness and joyfulness, they're almost the same thing. Like if you... Um, Maybe the difference is joyfulness. Like if you're trying to work on your joyfulness and it gets a little bit elusive, just switch over and work on your thankfulness and then your joyfulness will come. It's like joy it's like thankfulness and joyfulness are the same. It's just that Thankfulness is kind of a booster or kind of a propellant of joy they used to, They used to have a thing at young life camps called the blob it was it 's out in the like little lakes they usually have little lakes and there was like a ten foot platform and the blob is like this big inflatable thing it was like ten feet by ten feet by twenty feet. This was before like lawsuits and stuff but they and so what the, and what they would do is two people would go up and they one would jump on the blob and get up towards the front, and then another person, usually a heavier person, would jump on the blob and send the first person like 10 feet up in the air, and they would land in the water at what phase of the spin they're doing, you know, whatever. So, and it's kind of like thank, like thankfulness is like the blobber, and joy is like the blobby, you know, but or it's kind of like if, if grace and thankfulness had a baby, it would be joyfulness, and so when it, yeah. so that's what they, call, so that's what they called, that's what people have always called the communion, is the good, the good joy, or you know the good thankfulness. So when, in, in. First Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is talking about it, it said that on the night that Jesus was arrested, he took, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And sometimes in some versions of the scriptures, when it talks in the gospels, when it said, talks about that night, like the first, um, I guess it would be the night of the first Eucharist. It was the, la- we call it the last supper. It was the last Passover that Jesus spent together with his friends. But he took the bread and, um, some, and he broke it. And sometimes they, it says that he blessed it. And I've never really understood that. Like, I've never really understood, like, when people bless the food. Does somebody want to bless the food? And it's like, well, I mean, if it's good for you and you eat it, it'll be good for you. If it's not good for you, and you eat it, you can say whatever you want, and you can pray whatever you want, but it's not going to be good for you. You know, it's like, you can bless it all you all you want. It's like blessing. I, I was reading the, the other day, it was advertisements from the 1950s of cigarettes, you know, and it's just like Chesterfield. It's, doctor's number 1 recommended it's toasted or lucky strikes it says it's it invigorates your heart it warms your lungs and soothes your throat and it's like well you can say whatever you want about that cigarette but it's not going to make it good for you but um so but actually when it says that Jesus it says that he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it the word it is never in there and the word blessed is where you get this word Eucharist. It's it's the verb form, and it means and Jesus just gave thanks, and I think he gave thanks like he he gave thanks for what? Like when you think about what was about to happen, um, this was the night they traditionally in Christianity they call it Maundy Thursday. It comes from the Latin Mondamentum Novum, which means a new commandment. That was the night that Jesus told his disciples a new commandment that I give that you love one another. But technically, in the way Jesus kept time and the way his follower friends kept time and the way Jewish people kept time, the new day started at 6 p.m. So it was already Good Friday. But Good Friday would be the day where it wouldn't end before Jesus was bullied and beaten and battered and bleeding and broken, abandoned, and buried. And yet, like Mark said, on that time together, they were singing together he was i would have loved to have heard the voice of jesus singing john said one time he heard it and it sounded like the sound of many waters there's a in in johann sebastian bach's st matthew passion and it's about the passion the sufferings of jesus and it's almost all from the words of the scriptures And Jesus sings a lot. And Jesus is a bass baritone voice. And it's just so beautiful. But to think about Jesus singing. And that was the time that he told his disciples, don't be upset about anything. Don't be troubled about anything. Well, I mean, if they knew what was going to happen, they would be super freaking out. And Jesus was talking to them about how much joy he had and how he wanted them to have it. And I'm thinking, well, what was Jesus possibly thankful for? What could he have felt the good joy about? And I just thought about it, and I don't really know, but I thought about that he took bread, and he said, this bread is my body. And maybe at that point, he was able to be thankful for the fact that he had a body to offer. The Father, he had a perfect body. He had a sinless body. He had lived, he had come to do it, And he had lived a sinless life. Like he had come to live a sinless life of love. Everything that we would, I guess, if you think about it, everything that we would call a sin, if you think deeply enough about it, it involves not loving someone. But he had lived a sinless life Life of love. I read something. Can I read you something? This is this was like the most. He had lived a sinless life of love, so that he could give himself to pay for all of us who had lived a sinful life of unlovingness. But there was something that people used to always talk about. um, Love is love an emotion? Or is it an act of your will? And I've always thought, well, in churches, they always said, love is not an emotion, it's an act of your will. And Peter says, having purified yourself for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another, fervently from your heart. I'm like, how is that not an emotion? Excuse me. But, <laughs> but, but there was a guy that I, I, really, I really love. And he said something that blew my mind a couple of years ago. His name is Dallas Willard. And he was talking about love. And he was talking about this question. And he said, is love an emotion or an act of your will? He said, it is neither. Love is a disposition. Love is a disposition of character, an overall disposition of the human self. Instead of trying to love so-and-so, trying, love is trying to become the kind of person who would or could love them. The aim isn't to love this person or that person in this or that situation, but to be a person possessed of love, possessed by love as an overall character of life. God does not just love you and me, he is love. Love isn't something you choose to do, love is something you choose to be. And so Jesus came into our world with a disposition and a determination to love everyone and when he got to the end of his time on earth he did it he had loved Everyone He had loved people who didn't even love him. So he was able, because he had no wrong, no unlovingness to pay of his own, was able to pay for all of our sinful unlovingness. And not only that, but he had a determination to do it because he had come into this world to love those who didn't love him back. So it could have been that he was thankful that at this point, he had a perfect life to offer the Father. And I think it could have been possible that even that at that moment he was thankful that on the most horrible days in the history of days, when before the day was over, he would be bullied and beaten and battered and broken and bleeding and abandoned and buried. But by the end of the day, the worst would be over. It was only going, even though it was an in, what Jesus did when he died for us that day was an incomprehensible compression of an eternity of human guilt in three hours of global darkness. By 3 p.m., the worst was over. And he might have been thankful, not only that he had a perfect life to offer the Father within a day the worst would be over, but that the best was yet to be. Like that he was going home, that he would be home by the end of the day. He would be home, and he was the only person on the face of the earth at that time who knew what that meant because he said in one place, I have, it's, Paul says it's beyond the, the, It's beyond the possibility of human beings to imagine how amazing it is. But Jesus said, I came down from there. I know what it means to go home. And not only that, but it would be better than it was when he left it because he was going to be taking us with him. Within a month and a half, one of his follower friends, Peter, was going to explain to a big bunch of people why Jesus died in that horrible way and that he rose from the dead. And 3,000 people from all over the place believed in Jesus at one time, and they all eventually went home with him. And one Christian sociologist calculated that that same number of people accept Jesus somewhere in the world every hour of every day, 24-7. Every hour, all over the world, at least 3,000 people are accepting Jesus every single day. And the idea of taking home with him an innumerable multitude that no one can number from from every nation Somehow that makes heaven better. I don't exactly understand why having people like us there would make it better for him. I remember one time, like when you take people into your home, we took somebody into our home that was in kind of a crisis. And after, when we lived in Italy into our little apartment and afterwards we kind of realized, I don't know if this was really the best thing to do and we're not really quite sure how to get him kind of out on his own on his independent life and about that same time I read the story of the Good Samaritan and he took the guy to a hotel and paid for it it's like you can take him to a hotel and still be the hero of the story so but just but the idea that Jesus would take all of us home and that would make it better the reason I don't really understand that is that I don't really understand love. But he is love, and, to find, and that he, heaven is going to be better. Having us in it is amazing. So that could be why he had a perfect life to offer the Father at that point. By the end of the day, the worst would be over, and the best was yet to be. And he said, whenever you eat this bread, He said to them, remember me. Remember, like, remember, I don't think they really understood what he meant, but they would. Remember that he died for us in that way. And I'm not really sure, like, when Jesus, so they were having, like, their annual Passover, like, our, kind of, like, Thanksgiving or whatever. It's like that one big meal that you have. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus said, remember me. Like, remember, so does that mean, like, that we're supposed to remember that Jesus died for all of our sins once a year at the Passover. It could, it could he could have meant that. He could have. Except so you just remember once a year that Jesus died for us, our sins. But it wouldn't be long before the message of Jesus was spreading. And it, wouldn't, it wasn't really an innumerable multitude at this, but it was getting to be a multitude of people from other countries and other languages who didn't grow up with that. And so they didn't really have that custom of the Passover, so that wouldn't have meant anything to them. But in, we know from like 1 Corinthians 13, from Acts chapter 2 and 3, that they had started to meet once a week and to worship Jesus. And when they did it, they would all eat together, like all eat food together. And they would have the Eucharist, the good joy, and they would remember him. And so does that mean that we're supposed to, at least once a week, remember that Jesus died for our sins? Maybe that's what it means. It could mean when Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you eat bread, whenever you eat bread, whenever you eat anything, like whenever you eat, like every day, remember that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I'm like, I'm eating today. And the only reason I'm eating today, and it's delicious, is because Jesus died for my sins. I'm alive today. I have a life. And it's because Jesus died for my sins. Everything I have, everything that's sweet, every pleasure, every joy, every love in my life, everything that's fun, the only reason I have it is because Jesus died for my sins. I'm like that puppy, you know, like when they take, when they take those stranded those dogs and take them to the dog pound, and they only get like seven days, and then they like have to put them down you know and so I'm like that dog at the dog pound and this is like the end of the week and I'm sitting there in my cage thinking what do they mean by put him down you know it's like I don't think it's gonna be good you know and it's just like this is where I am I'm at the end of the week and I'm at the dog pound until a 10 year old boy sticks his head in my cage and says hey buddy you're going home with me today and both of us start wagging our tail. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's my life. The only reason I have a life and people to love and fun and pleasures is because Jesus died for my sins. And I'm supposed to. And, and I need to be thankful every single day for that every single day for him every single day that he died for me and you're like thankful for what well just in the same way that he was thankful on that life on on that night i am thankful that i have lived a perfect life to offer the father and somebody's like wait a minute you didn't live no perfect life. Like that, the reason Jesus had to come here and do all that is because you haven't lived a perfect life. I know, but the New Testament says that when I believe in Jesus, I, I sense, you know, I know that I need Him to save me. I'm a mess, you know, I needed Him to save me. The moment I trust in Him, I'm completely forgiven of everything I've ever done, thought, or said that's bad and unloving, everything I ever do, say, or think that's unloving, everything I ever will do, will think, or will say that's unloving and bad in one instant. But not only that, Paul says in Romans chapter three, verse 24, the moment I believe in Jesus, not only am I forgiven of everything I've ever done, do or will do in an instant, but I'm justified. And that's a word that means that God pronounces me or declares me perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. And he's like, well, what happens is, it's kind of mysterious, but in the same way, when Jesus was dying for us, all of our guilt was transferred to him, even though he had never done anything wrong, justification means that when I believe in Jesus, all of his perfect righteousness of love, as if I had loved everybody in the world from the day I took my first breath, was transferred to me. And that God sees me as righteous and pronounces me righteous. And somebody might say, yeah, but I'm not righteous. And I would probably say, you might want to shut up about that. Like, I mean, if he says we're righteous, don't fight him. Like, just take it, you know, so. But the fact that he sees me, like, I'm thankful that because of Jesus died for me, God sees me as perfect. Like, it's the perfection of Jesus, but it's that, you know, so, and it's mine, and not only that, but the worst is over for me. Just like for him on that night, it wouldn't be long before the worst would be over. And now in my life, the worst is over. I still have problems and I still have troubles and all that stuff, but I have Jesus with me. And having him with me, like the worst problem you could possibly have, but you have Jesus with you and he's walking you through it, is a thousand times better than any problem without him with you. So for me, I guess, I could say the worst is over and the best is yet to be. And there's coming a day when he's going to take us home. It's what like he's going to take us home because in some way he understands, and I don't understand that heaven will be better with us there, but he's going to take us home. And Paul said that we've never been, it's never entered into the heart of man what it's going to be like and how amazing it's going to be. And we can't even imagine it except that in the prophets and in the gospels and all through the New Testament, it says one thing about heaven is if you've ever been to a super fun party, like if you've ever been to a party where there's a lot of food and a lot of, you know, everybody's laughing and eating together and dancing and stuff. Heaven is going to be a party. And it says it over and over and over again. It said, one time Jesus said, said um, he told a story where, because they asked him, why do you keep hanging out with these people you hang out? You always eat with them and laugh with them and talk with them. It's, and he said, so it's like a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one. And he went and found it and he called his friends and he had a party. And a woman had 10 coins and she lost one. She searched for it, she found it and she called her friends and she had a party. And a guy had two sons and he lost one. And when, he, when his son came home, he threw a gigantic party. Somebody said that stars are actually holes in the sky where the party lights are shining through. So it's just going to be a party. We, and, and in a minute, we're going to eat together, and we're going to talk, and we're going to laugh. And it's just a tiny, infinitesimal of heaven's going to be all of that and just like at times a million we used to have in italy we used to in our church in italy we had people from 17 different countries and so and we always did this where we would have the eucharist together once a month and then we would all eat together and everybody would bring food from home and they would like and people from 17 countries you just don't ask questions you just eat it you know and so then and but it was it was so much fun and there was a there was a woman in um, in our church her name was Benedette and she was the greatest cook in all the world. She was about 55. She kind of became everybody's mother. But, and everybody ate her food, her food first. And we were just, when she died, she died of cancer. And at her funeral, there was everybody from every, all the countries of the world that were in our church. And they were all talking about how amazing she was. And one person said, Benedetta was such a great cook that when we're at that marriage supper of the lamb and everybody's eating and laughing, she'll be the only person in heaven who will say, Does anybody else think this pasta could use a little more basil? (laughs) But But I have the life that I have. I have everything that I have. And I need to never, ever, ever forget. It's because Jesus died for my sins. The happiest people I've ever known in my life are people who... That was the governing emotion of their heart. I am so thankful because Jesus has died for me, and I'm forgiven, and I'm nothing, nothing nothing but thankful my life is a continual eucharist i i I wrote somewhere this week about john newton who john newton was he was a horrible person and then he accepted jesus and he became a sweet beautiful loving person on his gravestone it said it says john he died like when when did he die 180, gosh it must have been like 1793 or something like that but he said john newton clerk Once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, who by the rich mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ was restored and pardoned and appointed to preach the faith that he long tried to destroy. But he preached into his 80s, and he used to forget what he was preaching about. i would probably gone 27 minutes, but he... uh, he would forget what he was preaching about, and somebody would remind him, and he said, now I'm an old man, and I can only remember two things. One, I, I am a great sinner. And the other thing is, Jesus is a great Savior, and may God give you the grace that when you're an old man like me, and you can only remember two things, that it be those two things. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to never forget, to never forget, to never forget Every day, in the morning, at noon, at night, before we go to sleep, we have love, we have a life, we have a future, we have hope, because Jesus died for us and died for our sins. We love you. We want to remember that. In his precious name, amen.
0: You took my chains and set me free. You took my sin and gave me grace You took my shame and honored me You took my part, you took my place You're bringing joy to my despair You took my part, you took my place My sin and gave me grace. You took my shame and honored me. You took my